Hey, you are listening to Daily Discoveries, and this is Oscar. And this is Sanjana. This is the podcast where we discuss scientific articles weekly from the science section of the Daily. So I found an article from Science Daily that was called "Key Brain Mechanisms for Organizing Memories in Time: Convergence Research Project Integrated Neurobiology with Data Science Techniques." And this is a cool project because it was initiated by neurobiologists who wanted to find the mechanism by which the hippocampus organizes memories. And this group was located at UC Irvine. But in order to do this. Project. They actually needed the help of data scientists, as we will see. So obviously, the goal was to try to figure out the mechanism by which hippocampus organizes memories. But it's already known that the brain stores key experiences in order to aid decision making in the future. How that exactly happens is what this group set out to find. And how they did that was, they used electrophysiological recording techniques in rodents, and they combined those results with statistical machine learning. And why is this important? Why is this group? Why does? Why do they want to understand the mechanism? And the reason they do is because it's important for understanding why we lose the ability of being able to store memories. Especially with some diseases and aging, and this project took three years, and they tracked neurological firing patterns in rat brains when they were exposed to different odors, and they tracked how the brain stored the memory of identification of the odors when five different odors were given in a sequence. So, basically, as the rat smelled the different odors. They were able to visualize what neurons were firing, and what odor the rodent was expecting next, because they would change up the pattern of the different odors. I'll explain more. So, exactly how they did that was that they put electrodes into the rat brain, and they see, as I said, exactly which specific neuron fires, and which neuron does not fire, and. Essentially, they're able to read the minds of the rats in computer code, and the way they translate this code to analyzable data is that they、um, they used convolutional neural network, which was able to create a image of the data, and the only way they were able to do this was by hiring statisticians. And the neurobiologists knew this from the offset that they were going to need statisticians because the data they were measuring was in milliseconds, whereas, as in like the brain waves that they measure are in millisecond scale and they record for hours, so they knew it was going to be a ton of data. And the convolutional neural network system that they used is actually used for facial recognition, and so as these brain waves and brain signals. Show off in code in the computer. The computer translates this into an image that's easy to view for the neurobiologists, so they can identify patterns that the rodents are creating in their mind as they 
smell these different odors. And so as the rat smells these different odors, the scientist is able to identify when the rat is anticipating a specific odor to show up because the rat has been smelling a specific pattern of odors in the past. And what do like the neural patterns show? Yeah, they didn't actually say, but basically it, it just tells these scientists when these neural signals show up because they are anticipating something to show up. So they know that the rat is thinking about this specific odor A that they, because they, they know what the image of all the different odors look like as they, they studied these mice. And I don't think they've actually come to results yet, but they are using these techniques to now understand this mechanism of the hippocampus. And they said there's going to be like a useful technique, this imaging technique for a lot of different studies. Interesting. So I also found an article from Science Daily and it's titled Singing in the Brain. Neuroscientists have identified a population of neurons in the human brain that respond to singing but not other types of music. So researchers at MIT discovered neurons in the human brain that only light up when we hear singing, but not any other type of music. And these neurons are in the auditory cortex and they don't respond to speech or instrumental music and only light up when there's a specific combination of voice and music. Researchers are still trying to discover the exact activity of the neurons, but this has allowed them to understand how different sections of the auditory cortex operate in their functions. The foundation for this research comes from a study the research team conducted in 2015, where they were able to use functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, to figure out which neurons are specifically activated by music, and for this new discovery, they'd recorded electrical activity at the surface of the brain using a technique called electrocorticography, in which electrodes are placed inside the skull, which give more detailed information than fMRI, which measures blood flow in the brain to determine neuron activity. Since electrocorticography is an invasive procedure, it is not usually used on humans unless someone with epilepsy is undergoing a surgery that would treat their seizures, and these patients could consent to also participating in studies during this time, which is how the researchers collected their data from 15 patients. They found the neurons that respond specifically to singing, and right next to it were the neurons that respond to a lot more types of music. And with an fMRI, they would not have been able to differentiate the groups since they were so close to each other. So I wonder if there's like some evolutionary reason for us having a specific brain response to singing versus other musical notes. I'm not exactly sure about like the reasoning behind why our brain differentiates both of them. It's kind of interesting that they say that this procedure is invasive. They also talked about that in my article that obviously they can't put electrodes into human brains, otherwise they would do that yeah. to determine their brain waves and which neurons exactly are firing. But so they weren't able to do it on animals? Um, no, I don't think they mentioned anything about doing it on animals. Yeah, I guess they would have to do further study, but it's going to be difficult because they have like such a specific pool of patients that they can test on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it would be harder to like do this on a larger scale unless they try it with animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's very interesting if you compare this article to the article that I just mentioned as well. They're using two very different techniques to analyze how the brain interprets 
certain factors such as odor or sound. Yeah, for this one they use fMRI, which measures blood flow, whereas the one mm -hmm. I use, the one I talked about, measures the firing of neurons. Yeah. So I found another article by Uta Medicine that is also related to MRIs, which is titled MRI may lower breast cancer death from variants of three genes. So MRI screenings may be able to reduce breast cancer death by having a yearly MRI screenings for those who are between the ages of 30 to 35. And the breast cancer mortality decreases by more than 50% for those who carry specific genetic changes in three genes. And women with these genetic changes have 21 to 40% risk of developing breast cancer, depending on the variant. So it's really important for them to get these MRI screenings. And the researchers used breast cancer simulation models to determine the risk and performance of the screening and used data from 32,000 breast cancer patients, as well as patients who did not have cancer. This simulation compared the performances of a mammography alone and a mammography with an MRI and found that with an MRI, there was more of a benefit. Also, mammograms from patients younger than 40 resulted in more fake positive screens and less benefit. So the MRI would be very beneficial for younger patients. With the MRI, the simulation projected about four fake positives per 1,000 patients scanned. Since these screenings have a large benefit for women with specific genetic changes, it is important that they do do genetic screening before the diagnosis, since usually genetic screening is done after someone tests positive for cancer, and by then it's usually too late to begin preventive measures for the patient. And screening early also allows blood relatives to have more time to have their own genetic tests and start preventative measures if necessary. What is a mammogram and what's mammography? It's an x-ray image is oh. what a mammogram is between ages of 30 and 35. Yeah. But then they said a lot of um, false positives are showing up for you know, people younger than 40. So that's for like mammograms specifically. Oh. That's why they want to do the MRI with the mammogram. So that way they can decrease the amount of fake positives. Mm. So like, like I mentioned, there was only four fake positives per 1000 when they did it with the MRI for patients younger than 40. So they're trying to just they're, have people, as many people as possible, do MRIs. Um, they want to detect the cancer earlier mm -hmm. for patients younger. And with mammograms, there's more of a chance for a fake positive. So the MRI allows them to get more benefit. So. Okay, yeah. So mammograms is the, like, the traditional way? Yeah. Okay. So they're still going to do mammograms, but they're also going to have an MRI. Do initials them. or yes. additional screening. I see. Okay, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Daily Discoveries.